here we go. Spring of 2020. This is the 1080 Outdoors Podcast Land Management Series, where our main focus is pursuing the truth for everyday hunters like you. I wouldn't say it's kind of an FU, it's definitely an FU. Chronicle and document how our season's going and give you real-time updates, overall land management practices. You have to find a way to hunt big buck where they are. Welcome to 1080 Outdoors podcast number 46. Uh, Weston here, I'm doing a little intro for the podcast today. Um, today, Taylor brings back our old friend Steve Cease, and they talk everything um, that they do during the summer months in the off season to uh, get their land ready for the fall. So they talk, you know, invasive species, they talk hinge cutting, they talk mineral stumps, pretty much anything that you could think about, um, these boys can, these boys are going to cover it. Um, they also talk about how their land differentiates and kind of the different tactics that they use. Um, Taylor's land that he is currently hunting um, has egg fields on top with top access and Steve's is mostly bottom access. So they talk about a little bit how it's different. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, leave us a good rating and please subscribe so that you can enjoy future podcasts. Thanks for listening, guys. Just reminding people who have, um, I think we have a new wave of listeners this year. So if you haven't gotten back to last year's podcast with Steve, kind of I like talking to you because it's almost your land is about not opposite, but like. It is about as opposite as it can be for us living as close as we do in the land that I'm managing and hunting, where I'm field top access, a lot of ag field, your bottom access, and I mean, your whole property is timber. You have yeah. those big egg fields above you, but you're accessing different, you're managing, you're managing solely the woods. Um, so kind of explain where, where it started, where that, what that property was like when you first got there. Um, maybe the different kind of invasives that were in there that you had to take care of. And... Yeah, so when I first started, it was uh, a ton of ironwood. I call it umbrella tree. So it was a ton of just shade-producing ironwood, so it was super wide open. You could see for, you know, a couple hundred yards through the woods. Uh, pockets of buckthorn, uh, quite a bit of honeysuckle, and uh, that's about it. It was just mainly the ironwood. So... Um, yeah, when I first got in, I, I bought into the very first uh, thing that most guys do is mowed down a bunch of goldenrod and um, and uh, planted a little food plot, and it was a nightmare and um, just didn't work at all. So then I, I uh, you know, got smarter and cut down every single buckthorn, or I'm sorry, every well, I did every single buckthorn, but cut down every single ironwood, um, every single one, and I did a bunch of select cutting where I cut down the uh, less quality oak trees and, and whatever, but basically tons and tons of chainsaw work over the years. And now it's like the diversity of plants I have growing, the amount of deer that are living in there. Um, I tracked a bobcat last year, had a bobcat living back there, which is cool. Fishers living back there, I cut down a ton of um, mature poplars and aspen trees. And those have regenerated into just amazing, amazing wildlife habitat. Just thick, thick, um, just like oceans of aspen seedlings. It's freaking awesome. And uh, yeah, that's the, I've just been doing that. <laughs> like, there's so much. Once you get out cutting, it's crazy how much there is to do. So it's been a few year process of just cutting and improving and cutting. And then I would cut trails. You know, you drop a, a ton of trees, 
and the deer don't have a way to get through it. It's too thick for them even. So I cut trails so I can guide deer exactly where to go. I would go into the side hills because like you said, I'm on a bluff with a pickaxe and I would dig out bedding areas, like create flat spots because if you've been in the bluffs, anytime you find flat, you find deer beds because sometimes yeah. flat is hard to come by. So I dictated where the, it's really cool when you create a bed and all of a sudden you go in there, there's a bunch of deer hair in there. You know what I mean? It's like a gratifying. And uh, so, yeah, now I have it where I have them have it dictated where they're bedding. I have tons and tons of um, just really good regrowth. Anywhere I opened up the canopy turned into a berry patch. Like every single place where sunlight could hit the ground, I have an amazing berry patch. And um, I, I sent you a couple pictures. So this year I got the, the start of the biggest bucks I've had on the land. Last year I shot like a 140 inch buck. And uh, when I first got on the property, man, it was, you know, they're, they're just a two and a half year old is the best I would see all year. Um, so now it's kind of yeah, a, a one, a one forty that was, I mean, he's four or five. He's a mature buck too. Yeah. He's, he's awesome. It's awesome that uh, like bucks are living there. Um, just the habitat is so good. Put in some water holes, dug in water holes. Um, just kind of created a, an ecosystem. So my, my strategy is different just because I don't have the, I mean, I could, I guess, if I want to hire a bulldozer and just like bulldoze a, a bunch up top. Um, but I decided to go with manage it to make it awesome cover, awesome bedding. There's ag fields and food everywhere. So my strategy is to hunt in the mornings and get them coming back um, from the ag fields. And uh, yeah, it's it worked really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. You mean, now, go up, I guess, yeah, go, go up ahead, there sorry. and it, I mean, it's completely, I've only seen it, I guess, the way that you, I mean, similar to what it is now, but. Yeah. Beforehand, I mean, it yeah, was it looks like it was a like tornado a went through. Yeah. A tornado went through with um, like travel quarters cut through it. Yeah. Um, here's the, the, the most telling thing. So the one year, this is uh, honest to God truth. I bought uh, some uh, chestnut trees and I, I put metal posts on each side of the chestnut tree plus the plastic to protect them and on my entire property i had one flipping rub and the buck knocked the metal posts out of the way and killed my chestnut tree right <laughs> that was it but that one rub and last year i mean i easily 50 to 100 rubs i mean they're everywhere like it's just night and day how many more bucks are hanging out on the lands all because of literally just a chainsaw just chainsaw, oh, cutting, cutting all the right things. Um, so have you ever used like hack and squirt on those iron, like did you hack and squirt oh, yeah. on those ironwoods? Yep. So what I found by far the best thing, I tried a couple things. I tried, um, oh, uh, triclopur. I, th I don't know how you say it, triclopur. So the basal bark treatment where you mix that with diesel fuel and screw, uh, spray the base. I did a bunch of uh, girdling where I would just, Ironwood bark peels off really easy. So if you just hack with a little hatchet, you can peel the bark down and yep. kill them that way. I did a bunch of that. But by far, the best strategy I found to kill trees is uh, in the wintertime, cut them and squirt the stump. And um, they're deader than shit. Just with you, herbicide. Uh, yeah, uh, just glyphosate. Uh. Roundup. Um, but uh, they're deader. Than so like some guys are like, oh, you can't kill them in the winter. Oh, no, man. They are deader than hell. But the nice thing in the winter, everything else is dormant, so there's no collateral damage, right? It's so like Roundup, if you do it, when I do it in the summer, I mean, anything that the little droplets hit kills it. So another one is the Japanese Barbary, you know what that little bush is? 
nasty little thing. This is how dumb it is. It's a bush. You can, it's a lawn ornamental where a lot of this stuff comes from. It makes, it's a pretty bush. It makes these little red berries. Um, but it'll take over your forest floor. So like in my in-laws, there's hillsides where it's nothing but Barbary. Yeah. So if you spray it in the summer, you're going to have collateral, like I'll spray it, but it, it kills like a big area. So I found it's better to cut it in the winter and then just spray the, the stumps. You know what I mean? It actually but anyhow, red? I did that. What's that? Is it actually red? Yeah. Well, there's red and then in the, when, in the wild, it's green and the uh, berries are red. And the berries stay on a long time, like um, into winter. But you'll, I've, I've been in woods where like, I mean, the whole forest floor is just a carpet of it. And then it changes the pH of the soil. So it, like other stuff can't even grow. It'll just completely take over hillsides. A lot of here. acid. Yeah, exactly. So you really want to stay on top of that stuff. And it's just nasty. It's super little prickly thorns. Um, so that's constant. You know what I mean? You can't stop birds from shitting seeds, right? Yep. So it's like, you know, I'll, I'll kill everything. And all of a sudden I'll see here comes some um, Barbary and a uh, multi-floor rose is my least favorite for sure. That stuff is the worst. Um, but yeah, in the wintertime, without question, to get rid of. Yeah, so this ironwood, it, it's, what's nice about it is it like huge impact by cutting down these trees because they make a ton of freaking shade. So you just cut one down and spray the stump and you have a, a big space where, uh, where sunlight can hit the forest floor. Oh, it was really yeah, cool. I'm kind of, kind of a, what's that? It's incredible. I'll just like, cause you still, you'll start in like one area you know, you're taking out all the little things and then you, then there's like one bigger tree with a canopy that's left and you take that down and all of a sudden there's sun floor or sunlight everywhere. Yep. And then the next year you have a big blackberry patch. Like it's so crazy. Like, I mean, there's just so much good vegetation just waiting to grow and um, just gotta give it some sunlight. Yeah, yeah last a- last night I was I was walking some public land by me, um, and you know it is crazy when you say like the second you get on flat ground, it's like things start happening. <laughs> you know, like you're walking a side hill that's like really steep, yep. and the second you pop up over on that flat, like the everything changes. Like the whole yep. the whole woods is different. Um, but yeah, like when you talk about like those berry patches or those Things look so different now too. It's crazy. You can actually tell what things are, but it's like first thing you get. In, I get into the woods, and you're, I'm right by the road, and the first pat, like first de- uh, deadfall. So like a big, a big uh, oak tree had fallen over, and the treetop was laying, and sunlight had hit that place. So a bunch of it was like a berry patch, real thick, you know, stuff you can barely walk through with that treetop, and five deer bedded in there that's awesome it's like then you go past that and it's open canopy before where i was standing is open canopy so there's just a section and it laid really well where it was like you know a side hill they're they're bedded there that they have the road out in front of them you know the way the, you know those were doe so or uh, i'm guessing a group of doe and the wind was kind of blowing up in into them from the road so i wouldn't expect a buck to be bedded there but then you go deeper in and it's like each little spot you, you go, you know, you go down a ditch, you come back up a ditch, get up on a flat. If there's a deadfall or some type of reason why sunlight's hit the floor and there's a berry patch deer would jump up and bust yeah. out. So I think what I, I personally think the single best land management tool without questions, a chainsaw. It's just yeah. in the hunting industry, how can you make money 
off guys just going down and cutting down bad trees. You know what I mean? So I think that's that's got to be why like there's so little out there about it because there's no money to be made. But it works so like you. I have so much more food. It's weird because you think down like, trees. Chainsaw's a good thing to buy, like five hundred dollars. Like why yeah. are more people sponsored by steel? Yeah, no kidding, no. It's weird. Yeah, steel it's, and some more some chains. But yeah, it, it's like, and I remember too when I was first doing it. It's like at first it's kind of hard for me because I'm cutting down these, you know, trees that are 30, 40 years old. But um, yeah, it's a little bit. It's a little bit of a mental thing. It's like it is. But then God. it's like once you start reading, it's like let's say you have a cluster of four oaks, and you cut down two or three of them. That one remaining oak will actually make more acorns than all the four combined that are competing against each other. Yeah. Plus, you get a bunch more sunlight hitting the ground. So then you get this massive undergrowth of berries and forbs and all the stuff that other critters like to eat. And then, like my poplars, you know, these big, tall aspens, pretty white trees, but they're big and old. And it's like, well, if they die, they die. But if you cut them down, they don't die. They just regenerate into this amazing forest. And at first, it was hard as hell. Like, what am I doing? And then now that you see it, it's like, oh my God, it's easy to cut trees down. Cause it's the way that good. the way I get past that is it's cause you'll see a beautiful, like I cut a, <laughs> like a, a maple tree or, a, um, you know, it's such like a cool looking tree, but it has such a aggressive canopy. Oh yeah. You know, they're so big. Um, and it's, but they look like I, I cut one down the other day and it's like, it's such a nice tree, but oh, it, yeah. there's nothing happening underneath it. And no, like, yeah, they make a ton of leaves. Yeah, it's it's actually really cool too. It's like I was out walking the other day. I actually took two pictures. Um, I should should post them side by side. It's so cool because you know once I go from my property to my neighbor's property, right? So it was all at one point it was all the same landowner with all the same cattle grazing and whatever. And then uh, but it's like night and day. So it's like looking through a street park. Like I can see all the way to the freaking top of the bluff, and then you go over a little ways and you can't see twenty feet. And it's just yeah. thick undergrowth and that's food. You know, there's just, that's where all the animals are going to be. It's so uh, all I did was cut stuff down and spray the stump. So it can't come back. And that's the thing too. Like you have to spray the stump because um, cutting down trees doesn't kill them. They'll just start over unless you spray the stump. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, And we take advantage of that too, by like, like the poplars and the regens and the, the ones yep. that become, you know, natural um, mineral sites. Like and they take advantage you, of that as well, but some those like ironwoods and other trees, you don't want to do that. So yeah, you exactly. So you, you hit those, but then if if you uh, are if you really pay attention, you'll see where like a logger went through twenty five years ago, and you'll see a a really nice oak tree growing out of the stump that that logger cut down twenty five years ago. So that big root system, it didn't die; it just had this giant root system to grow an oak, a new oak tree fast. So it's yeah. like um, you're not uh, yeah, it's just. It's just yeah, not, get, is so not getting deep into the science, but yeah, imagine, so you have a, a, a tree that's 50 feet tall. It's been living for 50 years and you cut it down. Well, that root system is like, think about how big it is above ground. That root system is 50 years old underground too. So all the nutrients that those root systems create drive into regenerating a new tree in that, out of that area. So those, that's what they, we talk about, like mineral stumps. Because oh, yeah. the nutrients coming out of that new that that bare stump is so high because there's so much uh, the trees working so hard to to regenerate. Right. Without and then speed of mineral stumps, my favorite by far is basswood. The deer freaking love it. 
and like basswood, you know, they grow with clusters straight up. Yeah. And then, um, you know, there's everything is up high above them very quickly. But those ones, if you hinge them, they die. Um, I tried that. They, they don't hinge with a shit. But if you just cut them, like you just get this thick bush and the deer. I mean, it's really interesting. I, I put a camera on it and it's crazy. So there'll be a, like this, all these leaves, right? Then you see this doe come up and then the two pictures later, all the leaves are gone. And then a few days later, they're back. Yeah. Like it's amazing how quickly the leaves just keep coming back and the deer just keep eating them over and over and over. It's just, it's kind of fun to watch. Same with the um, aspen seedlings. Be it loaded with leaves, all of a sudden a deer comes in the picture, all of a sudden all the leaves are gone, and then a week later, they're all back. Just huh. rinse and repeat. Yeah, it's really, really, uh, it's cool. It's fun. And then the other day, too, I forgot to mention this. So, so I got about, what do you figure? I think up top, I probably maybe have a half an acre of space, open open area, maybe two-thirds of an acre. Yeah, counting that road. Yeah. So this year I planted uh, 100 apple tree seedlings with tree tubes. And um, man, the, the seedlings have already doubled in size. It's crazy how fast. Yeah, those is. apple trees are doing really well for me too. I think we got the same apple trees from the same place. Chief River? Yep. Yeah, dude, it's a, it's crazy. So I have um, 100 apple tree apple orchard, <clears throat> and then underneath is clover and um, um, ragweed, blackberries, just all the food for them throughout the summer. And then around me, um, the, the, so it's kind of nice. And one of the big land, big land management things I did too, there's probably 15, 20 apple trees in my little 40 and I pruned them and cut the trees down around them. So opened up the branches, got them more sunlight and they produce so many freaking apples. It's insane. And they'll hold apples into winter. So like deer are going there on a constant basis because they're dropping apples into late season. So it's like a, a full deer season food source. So it's like, why in the hell wouldn't I plant apple trees? They're growing their wild like crazy. The deer yeah. freaking love them deep. I mean, you know, the, the apples look kind of old and kind of wrinkly and not good, but the deer freaking love them. So yeah, I was like, heck with it. Plant a hundred apple trees and cut down other trees. And, and that's my food plot. Yeah. So um, I think people, what do you think people's biggest uh hold up is um doing this type of work in the woods i know you know what i think the biggest one is for uh it was for it's just not identifying not being able to identify trees and plants correctly yeah. and then once you do identify them knowing which ones to actually cut down and which ones to leave behind and then too yeah. for me i mean it's kind of a sissy maybe but i was a little bit um, intimidated by a chainsaw just because you hear horror stories, you know? So, it's, you know what I mean? They are pretty dangerous machines. But, um, yeah. I, yeah. No, I, really I haven't, agree. I haven't gotten to the point where I'm cutting like giant trees down yet. Just cause it's, yeah, you, you don't have control. <laughs> you don't have very good. Once those things start going, you can't stop them. Yeah. So I started off, you know, with the smaller trees and I, I wouldn't mess with the bigger ones. And then you just start getting a little better, gaining more confidence. And uh, now I'm, I could take down anything. Now it gets to the point where, you know, I, I've cut so down, cut down so many damn trees. I mean, Christ, I even bought a uh, electric uh, chain sharpener. So I, you know, need to sharpen chains so much. But then you get to a yeah, that is a pain in the ass. Yeah, but you get a good sharpener; it just zips through them. But uh, you get to a point where you almost get too confident. So I have to remind myself to like, hey, slow down. You know what I mean? This could kill you in an instant. Yeah. And uh, just really go slow and be careful and. Um, 
you know, I, I, I only like hunting in the wintertime or when there's not leaves. So you can, so I can really see what's up there. You know what I mean? You have a bunch of leaves. There could be something hanging up there that come and fall on your head. Um, yeah, so, it is a pain in the ass right now. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I'm going to, I got about that one small section of buck fur <laughs> I'm going to get rid of. And then I'm, I'm just calling it for the year in there and wait until next year. Yeah, just wait till it's winter. not worth it. Nope. Nope. Yeah, I thought winter's by far the best. And then two, you know, a lot of people with leaves, it's really easy to identify trees. But once you get a little practice, it gets easy to identify them in the winter too. So be able to, you know what I mean? I think the biggest thing is just be able to look at a tree and know what it is. So like yeah. once you get good at it, it's like this gotta go, this gotta go, this gotta go. Oh, this is a great tree. And um and then, you know, just not be afraid to cut stuff down and it just comes back one thing i found though with my woods is i don't know it's not really a bad thing is uh you know i, I took out a lot of bad trees a lot of ironwood and now i get a lot more blowdowns because i think used to have a bunch of trees absorbing the wind right so now they're not there so those some of those bigger trees they take the full force of the wind and they just get fricked. you know what else you'll start having more consistent winds Oh, you'll be able to you'll be able to tell like hard like full woods the wind kind of works around us you know think of wind like a stream it's it's a it's an obstruction so the wind will you know flow along the edges of those woods or it comes over a point and it kind of it'll do weird weirder things yeah those more open areas and then you actually have wind that you can control like you know what it's going to be doing right Speaking of that, I got it. I can't, you know, how any new stand, you can't wait to send it. Yeah. I think I got this, you know, it might make it boring. I think I got the stand set up where it's like you could sit there and shoot a mature buck every single year. But it's you hung, hung it last year or you're, you just found it? Um. Oh, I kind of created it. So I, I uh, through the one, so there's like a log, you see, there's a logging roads, you know, there's logging roads in every yep. woods. And, um, so I created a trail above the logging roads where I cut it. It was a pain in the ass, but I cut a trail up above the logging road along my hillside. And I just, I'm just assuming the smarter, more mature deer are going to use that instead of the logging road. Yeah. And I mean, right away, as soon as you make a trail that's more secluded than whatever the deer were using it, and now it's like beaten down. <clears throat> but I made two trails that kind of connect where they like to go anyhow. And it goes around this point down below a, a big cedar tree. So I'm like up in a big cedar tree where the thermals will just pull my wind straight up. The deer are like funneled right in front of me. I, uh, I made a mock scrape right on the trail right in front of me with a grapevine. By the way, have you done that yet? A grapevine mock scrape? They're freaking got a bunch. Of, well, I got a bunch of grapevines in my yard that I'm starting to cut out. And not like, so I got a couple dead ones. So I'm just cutting branches off that and bringing them into the woods every time I go <laughs> Yeah, so I, I put one up. Um, what do you use? The, do you zip? I, 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 this year I've just had zip ties, and I'm yeah. thinking that they might fail, but do you actually get, like, hard wire, or do you zip tie? I, see, I don't think it's – I think a zip tie is great. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I just – what it, two, three zip ties, zipped it up there. And uh, anyhow, I put one up this spring, like, during turkey season, and uh, I had nine bucks in seven days hit that damn thing. Like, in the, you know, they'll hit, they'll hit those all year long. And um, yeah, it's nine bucks in seven days hit the same um, vine that I put up. So that's a different deer stand I set up. But, I feel uh, like that's, I'm, I wonder if that's more like, because they're starting to like, I don't know. Well, it'd be interesting to see if they, if they continue to hit it in July and August. 
but it might be one of those things. I wonder if it's um, like they're kind of grouping up into those bachelor groups and they're already starting to figure out like who's who. And um, I don't know, it was just like, like damn near every deer that walked by would just ha- couldn't resist rubbing their face. Yeah. On. They can't control themselves. But then they would make, um, you know, it's, it's uh, May and they're, they're scraping under it. Oh, just were they like, actually the... digging up the ground too? Huh? Oh yeah. 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 I think they do that. Uh, I mean, this year is crazy when, you know, it'd be a, a fresh snow in January and I'd go out there and they'd scrape it up like all winter yeah. long. They're scraping. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, and that, that wasn't, that wasn't a great by one of these different spots, but yeah, that, it's crazy how well, you know, what a cheap tool. It's crazy too, like hunting industry, how much scent they sell. Right. For what I cut off a grapevine, zip tied it to a, a birch tree and then peed underneath it. And it's attracting deer like crazy. Have you ever noticed a, a liquid coming out of those grapevines that you cut them? Yeah, it's just the water. Yeah, yeah, I just caught one the other day, and it was, like, pouring out. It was weird. Yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. It come, actually, I just made one uh, for one of the gym members. They're building a house, and it's a crazy <laughs> deer sign behind their woods. So I went and I hung a – I made a mock scrape and put a camera on it for him. But that's the first thing he said. He's like, holy crap, because it's just pouring water out of it. Yeah, it was crazy. I was, and I, like, tasted it. I'm like, that's just – that's all it is, is water. Yeah, yeah, it's cool how much. His uh, yeah. Speaking of property, this property went like that. I mean, you can tell instantly cows used to graze there, because like all the good vegetation was gone, and pretty much all they had was honeysuckle, buckthorn, a few blackberries, and uh, a few mature trees that you know the cows couldn't eat. So it's like, what do you think? Yeah. It's like, dude, come winter time, we'll just literally cut down everything, and uh, yeah. spray, spray, spray all the bad stuff. And I mean, there'll be deer in there because I mean, honeysuckle provides good cover, and I'm sure they eat it. But it's it's not. It's yeah, not I mean, there's there. good trails through there, but I mean, they're surrounded by just tons of. You know, like we fields. found, we found like 30 beds in a honeysuckle, just like a small hillside this winter. So I'm sure it's it's not the worst, and I mean, I'd rather have that than. Oh yeah, stand of like buckthorn or anything, but like. It's See, still, I watched. It's just not meant to be there. <laughs> Yeah, so I, because I, I talked to Jeff and other guys about this too. Um, like, I don't think honeysuckle's terrible. It's just when it gets so thick that that's all there is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so it's, like, yeah, it's, I, it can't, it, it's not, you can't control it. So it's, yeah, so I didn't know, but I've watched deer eat it and obviously like to bend to it. Another one, um, you probably have some. It's like in West Salem, there's a lot of it. I haven't seen it. There's a few on my land. I don't know if you have any. It's an autumn olive. Have you seen that at all? I, I don't think I have, I've been looking for it, but I know it's common around here. I know it's an issue. Yeah. So like, again, you get varying opinions on that. So, um, some places will try and Oh, there's people that are saying that it's, man, I, I, from what I, all the reading I've done on it, it's needs to go. So then, so like, uh, yeah, you'll read that. And like Jeff, for example, he's got a varying opinion, but, um, they love bedding in it. That's for damn sure. That's where I found, um, yeah. That seven seven point one side shed last year, a seven by five, just living in the honey, living in the uh, autumn olive. Apparently, the I always, berries are pretty good. Uh, I always too. refer to the guys that that are scientists, biologists, right? Those type of things. <laughs> um, and I know they say for sure it's it doesn't yeah, provide a good forage. It doesn't provide. It doesn't provide a scientific good forage for them. Like when they right. test it in the lab, it does not. It's not. A, it's not up there with the native species. Right. 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 So it's. 
Yeah, I, I emailed uh, the MSU Deer Lab guys about that. I'm like, hey, man, what do you think of this honeysuckle? I get varying opinions. They're, they said get rid of it. Yeah. So, so um, but it, that's one thing. So, like, with my land. Well, I'm like, we of, are, we're, we're correcting what we've been, what we've done to the place for the last exactly. years. Yeah, so you're like, undoing what we're, uh, we're going to do that, then yeah, it's pretty much if it's invasive, it's got to go. Undoing what our ancestors. Speaking of that land that I went and checked out, I've been out there a few times. I see pheasants every single time. Don't see that very often anymore, but just the freaking pheasants. I have some pockets. I have some good spots around my place. Well, you saw, you yeah. saw or heard some. Yeah. And the one place I know they were they were in the last couple of years because they, uh, they had let a field go fallow or they planted some native grass or something. When you have, you know, chest high grass right along a road ditch mm-hmm. and they fucking tilled it this year. Oh, really? I think that field has sat fallow for like three years and it's, and it's a bottom like low area. So obviously it, it probably got set fallow because it had been flooded and God, they, and they aggressively till it like fucking it. brought a I plow just think in uh, laid it um, over. Ugh. Another land management thing popped in my head. So like my, I'm, I'm kind of done, but what I'm not done doing is like the other day, well, I don't know, it was, uh, two weeks ago now, probably it was like that crazy windstorm. And, um, yep. you know, you go through and walk your trails and they're like completely covered over. Cause it, it's amazing. If you spend a lot of time in your woods, it's amazing how many trees and stuff blow down. If you actually really pay attention. I mean, it's constant. So I went through as one walk. Yeah, I had at least three big, big oaks, oak tops. Yeah. Isn't that over. crazy? So yeah. I went through and, um, you know, just walked the trails and opened up all the trails because they were completely blocked, right? So it's like, well, I don't want to, you know, it can completely change your deer movement. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when you're bow hunting, you know, 30 yards is a big deal. That's a big difference. It's, yeah, they just loop around you. But Especially was, those bucks are going <laughs> to, those fuckers are going to want to take that lower, I almost think they prefer that lower, like middle or lower third of the hillside too. Yeah. You drive them up higher. Yeah, so you got it. So I kind of created a path from, but then too, you know, you just you got to work with what you own. Um, uh, so the good thing, I mean, kind of the good thing around me is like the neighbors. It's just wide open park forest. So it's like, well, duh. I mean, if you're a smart buck, what are you going to do? Walk through the yep. park or go through the thick stuff? And you know what I mean? <laughs> They're not going to leave if they don't have to. So I'm really. And then well, too, all, you, my, all we can do is just create the best habitat for them, and and then stay out once it's important you know mm-hmm. that's the one thing too as far as land management i learned uh, and just hunting when i was younger i used to try and get into where the deer were and then all i was doing was pushing the deer out you know what i mean yep. so now i have my land and my stands set up where of the 40 acres or 39.5 or whatever hell it is um like two-thirds of it come deer season i won't set foot in and then my stands are just on the perimeter. So either they come to me or I don't see them, right? So if they're, you know, the, the other option is like go go in deep and all you do is leave scent everywhere and freaking scare them all. Well, it's like, what's, okay, so let's think, what what, what is the trade-off? Because I was just listening to a podcast this morning where they were, the, the constant conversation is like, well, do you just sit out back and hunt the edges or do you actually go in and hunt hunt their bed in like October? And yeah, if I'm hunting public, and you want to push the envelope, then yeah, I would go and like, you know, if you're only going to hunt a spot twice a year in public, or right. whatever your situation, those situations to you owning 40 acres, 60 acres, hundred acres is so much different. They can't even be related. No, no. It's... Because what do you, what are you rushing on your property? 
right? Like, right. It's a it's a four month game. Are you not going to hunt in December? Are you not going to hunt in November? Like, or late November? Like, I, I guess are you giving up once Wisconsin gun season? Like, why are you rushing into there? Right? Like, that's that's what I always like question myself. It's like, what's the reason why you want to rush into this? Right. Spot? And then you weigh what's, the pros and cons. The, yeah. Like, what are the pros? You might get in there and get you know you might get them. The cons, you scare them out. You leave scents everywhere. And they'd like, you know what I mean? Eventually they go find a place where there's no humanoid activity. I mean, the best land management for a big buck without question is no humans, right? Oh yeah. Like, I mean, the single best thing you could possibly do is just have no humans. I think, and that I think, yeah. And I think patterned human movement. Oh yeah. So if you're consistent with where you're walking, with where you're putting pressure on it and those, those areas are, are like conducive to them not betting. So like, you have more, you have, you left that area where you walk up that hill road more open wood. Like you're not, you're not trying to get them to bed there. Right. But you also consistently go up that road all the time. So it's not going to be like a shock for them to see you there. They can get used to you being there. It's low impact, but everything, once you get up on top of your hill and then all that hillside over, you know, away from your place. Yeah, yeah, mine is. Uh, and then too, I, my stories. I, I love being in the woods. Like I, I can't go more than five days without going for a walk in the woods. I just, yeah, my therapy. So in uh in the summertime, I spend unlimited time out there. But up until like a little bit before leaf drop, you know, when the leaves drop, the deer's they change their habitat. Should I seen that one study where this buck had uh, two? A lot of bucks they have, you know, their two habitats: summer and winter habitat or fall habitat. The one bucks it was thirteen miles apart. He went there multiple years. Isn't that crazy? The damn deer, when the leaves would drop, he would really relocate to a new home 13 freaking miles away. <laughs> that makes you just be like, well, what, what, <laughs> what possible effect can you have? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, it, I seen it too. It was really crazy. They, um, they had like these four or a bunch of bucks collared and they're, you know, they're um, tracking their home ranges or whatever. And like some people say like big bucks don't, like to stay close to each other other guys say not but it was like out of this huge area that they covered like four out of the five mature bucks spent a lot of time in like this one same area right it's like man i would really love to freaking go walk around and see what was going on there that held those like four out of five bucks home ranges in one small chunk of a huge so this is a, this is spot. a, uh, a collared study yeah, mm-hmm. where they just send like a GPS, you know, signal every day or every six hours or whatever it was. Just send me and there was, to that. Yeah, it was cool. And then there was one, I don't know if it was the MSU or where I've seen it. But then there was one, one rogue buck where he didn't, he just stayed by himself. But uh, yeah, you know, how, like that's the land I want to try and create, right? So it's yeah. like, well, what, what does that consist of? Fucking cover for sure, right? But you no, can't but, freak it. You can't, you can't live, you can't sit and be like, I'm going to keep this deer on my 40 acres. It's no, no, possible, absolutely you know? not. Yeah, it's not possible. And people get so, like, worked up about that. Not possible, like. but let's say I would I would rather him spend, you know, 50% of his right. time on my 40 versus 10% of his time. Let's try to make it his core, you know, yes. center of his core area. Or let's try to, like, you know, if he, if he is out venturing around, like, he's at least going to hang out here for, like, a month or a couple weeks. Um, you know, fuck you. Yeah. You see people talking that 700 acres are managing that they can't even keep deer on it. You know, oh, they lose God. deer to their neighbors. Do you know how hard so, it would be to manage them? You know how much work there is to do on 40 acres? 
I know. I couldn't imagine even attempting 700. Like you better be making money I, somehow because you're gonna have to hire a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, um, yeah. I think it'd be better to have just a couple smaller chunks in different spots than one giant chunk. Really. I know. I've been I've been thinking about that a lot too. Like, do you want to do you want to buy the thousand acres that surround the one property, or do you want to buy ten? 100 acre parcels in different locations. Yeah, I would think multiple smaller ones is the way to go. Especially too, I mean, most people um, manage poorly and hunt poorly. So all you have to do is do it right and then you'll attract everything in that thousand acre area anyhow. And once you get into it, it's like you, once you realize how hard it is to kill a mature buck, like how difficult it is, you have to assume that your neighbors, the people who are hunting are, are not, you know, they're going to make a lot of mistakes. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. And, and and yeah, they'll get they'll go out there on opening day with a gun. Like you know, somebody will might be able to shoot. Yeah, it's get not good. But, but over the over the twenty years, it's just not going to be a consistent thing unless you're doing something wrong. I right. just, I I wholeheartedly believe that. Are you gonna gun hunt on your property? Uh yeah, I mean, it's like that's the thing too. I've done. But they'll be they'll be like, it'll be very edge edge like very edge we'll have a box blind like 60 yards from our the buildings that will kind of overlook everything i just foresee us sitting up there so and, you like, could just get a bullshitting a, a bipod and land your roof really i could yeah we could just hunt out of our barn too but <laughs> no it's yeah, mine I, it's it won't be it won't be pressure we're not gonna be driving it and right it'll be yeah, more of like a, it'll be more of like a hey dad and you know my buddy let's go like sit up in a blind together and, and yeah bullshit, you know so i haven't i haven't the last three gun seasons haven't set foot into the woods like the whole purpose is just to have it if the deer in a place to hide and not get shot and get older they yeah. got water and food and cover behind my house but once my son's old enough to start hunting i'll take him out for sure and just um yeah. just sit. very very minimal pressure is what i would you got a gun in your hand. If you can see what you can, like, especially in the property that we have, like, yeah. you get up, you get up in a box blind there, you can cover that whole backfield. Oh, yeah. With That's putting like no pressure from, on it. You could literally do it from your barn roof, barn window. Yeah. Sit there like a sniper with your barrel out the window. Yeah, you could. You could. Just have to, yeah, there's a, the barn, yeah, you have to, you only can see the one, would be the acre plot that we're making yeah it'll, it'll be interesting to see what how much you can see with a blind that we're going to build out there um yeah. but like in that scenario you, like someone drop you off right at the blind they drive away come pick you up at night like very very like lax like calm hunting right so now your land is going to be freaking amazing in a couple of years because you had all that egg field to let just let stuff regenerate it's so cool mm-hmm. to see what this you know what I mean? Just to see what kind of seeds are under there that sprout. And then you're planting all those trees that are going to, you know, they get full sun and not much competition. This is going to be amazing. Speaking well, of- driving, driving around all winter, it's like, I mean, you want to see what, you want to figure out what the limited factor is in, in the surrounding properties. And they're all giant egg fields. This year, they were all like beans. Or no, this year, they were all corn. So it was just straight corn stubble for miles. Now, this year, they're all beans. All those beans will be gone in October. Every yep. single one of them. So there'll be all the only food left in the area is going to be my five acres of bean beans with cover crop in them. 
Yeah. I tell you what, man, once they harvest those beans, that's what was by mine this year, it's like a desert. Like, it is just barren. There's nothing oh, there. Oh, Christ, but... there's nothing. Just I mean, what? it's probably even worse than when they chop corn in the first week of October. Oh, yeah. I mean, corn, the only you actually you have... leave some. <sighs> Fuck, man. When they chop that shit and then you have, like, this much – or you have, like, a two-inch corn stubble, they're about as bad as a bean field. Now, yeah. if they cut it, if they wait, you know, if they're cutting it and you have actual corn stalks planted, then I, I, you know, you see deer into that, you know, right. well into the winter, but. Yeah, no, if they chop the corn, there's nothing there. You just get the little stump. Um, speaking of, this is really cool. Uh, accidental habitat change. So my in-laws, um, you know, they have a big farm down in the valley, but it's been so wet the last two, three years. This, the, the one field at the bottom next to this little stream, it's, it's gotta be. Oh man, 10 acres or better. But it's been so wet that now it's like cattails. It's just a legitimate, just a swamp, just appeared. You know, it's just been corn and soybeans rotating for umpteen gazillion years. Yeah. And now it's just uh it's a swamp full of red winged blackbirds and freaking it's the coolest thing. You know, my in-laws hate it, of course, but I think it's just uh it's awesome. But it's like how many years have those different seeds just been late just getting, you know, constantly plowed and tilled and plowed and tilled? waiting for water to sprout. Oh, what was it? I was just It's so cool down there. Um for me, anyhow. I don't know if I was listening to someone was just talking about this too where they had taken down oh they'd cut down um cedars. Cut down a cedar stand. And you know, you looked into the cedar and they you know in, into the stump and they could see like some of them are like 60 years old. Right? And then the first year cut all of them down. Uh, spray them and then that, the native vegetation that came up those seeds have been living down there like just just dormant for 60 years 60 years that is That's just so crazy yeah that's what i am torn i got a couple um you know the, the cedar that, that uh you know the south-facing points how cedars like to grow on and take over and they're big and mature and old you know it's good thermal cover good for little birdies good bedding in the winter but uh the, the dnr forester's like man I'd, I'd cut a bunch of these down if this was mine and I haven't yet, but maybe I should just to see see what grows. Because I think it used to be like old goat prairies or something like that. And then I, uh, I mean, cut half of them down. See what see what. Yeah, I want to keep some, but it's like you know the that's where, that's where you structure like on the north border of it. Keep the north end of the cedar standing, and then cut everything to the south. So have them have have them right have that north half. north border. And then that south facing gets the sun and they can bed in that and sit out in the sun. And then if they need to tuck up into the cedars, they can still do that. Right. You know, it's crazy too. I like these trees that cut down, for example, there's just two big cherry trees that, uh, so I called around. I'm like, like the, nobody even wants to pay for the wood. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, there's like no value to it either. Like, so like these big, I cut down a big cedar and it's like such pretty red and it smells so nice. And, and whatever, and I call around, and they're like, "Well, I, I take it off your hands." I'm like, "What do you pay for?" It's like, "Fuck well, that, man! Make it into a a rubbing poster." Yeah, that's what I used to do. Well, well, I mean, these are freaking. I mean, they're huge, too big oh, to, yeah. uh, for a deer to rub. But the ones that are rub size, I always cut them down at like six feet high. You know what I'm saying? Cut them off at six yep. feet, and then make that rubbing post. Speaking of that, a deer must. There's a deer last year. That thing would hit every damn cedar tree in the woods, right? It's like certain deer must must prefer rubbing certain species of trees. I feel like cedars are, I feel like cedars in general are definitely 
they're always Cedars and Young Aspen. I think sure they love yeah. Young Aspen. Yeah, yeah, they love it. Ah, and I'm all excited to go hunting. Have you been <clears> shooting your bow? That's what most guys don't do. Either. Oh, don't that is what I need to. I was just thinking that this morning. I was like, I need to, because I have, I have a good setup out there. I could sit and shoot out of the barn. I can hang in a stand in a tree. Um, <clears throat> I ripped my target in half because I set it last year on the way back from Wyoming. I put it, like stuck it in um, like underneath the UTV in the trailer and it got like wrapped up. I don't know, like moving in a fucking 18 hour right. drive. It had gotten up in something or I don't know. It ended up getting ripped in half. So I just needed a new target and um yeah, I need yeah, to I, I, I'm trying to, uh, so I hung my bow, like I put a bow hanger right next to my damn door. So like I see it every single yeah, time I go out the talk door. talk shit to you. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it literally it's hanging right there with the release on and the arrows right there. So like my goal is one, it's it's just there to make it easy. But two, um, too often I'll shoot, you know, 50 arrows or 70 arrows or whatever, which isn't realistic. You know what I mean? All that matters is right. that first arrow. So I just want it there so I can just make that one good shot, hang it back up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I need that's that's what that's the like that's my excuse, I guess, why I haven't started shooting really much yet is because I'm in my head, I'm like, I just need to set up something where like there's no thought to it. There's a target yeah. out there, the bow's hanging, the arrows are right there, and you take three shots, you hang it up, put it away, it's done. Cause it's the bullshit of like you drag out all the stuff get your case out with the arrows you put your arrows like exactly the more the more time that you put into like doing routine shit like that the less you do it yeah that applies for everything same thing like when i teach yeah. people to eat healthier get the shit food out of your house so when you go in the fridge yeah. the only thing there to grab is an apple yep. make it easy for yourself create a create an environment so yeah so that's what i did i hung my bow and my arrows my release right by my door and then you've been to my house my targets are always set up 24 7 so it's like there's absolutely no reason for me. And then I'm kind of lucky now, too, is my son actually really enjoys shooting bow. So that makes it extra more fun to uh, to shoot with him. Yeah, But it's so important, what, right? What, I mean, targets, like, you know, what targets are you using? I got a bunch. I got some old, just old 3D targets, but they still work. And then like three block targets. Yeah. And then I just was looking into some, uh, oh, I just forget the name. They're so expensive. It was a, I wanted to get an elk target, but it was like $1,600. Montana, is it Montana? Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, there's some of that. Uh, Glendale, maybe. Glendale. Or, or not Glendale. Uh, um, Reinhardt. Is Reinhardt, like a, that's what it was. A big one that's really expensive. Those are supposed to be really nice. They're amazing, though, right? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. so my my biggest uh Yep, I problem, was just looking at them, too, and that, again, dragging my feet, didn't order one, didn't get a different fucking thing. That was a month ago. Now we're in the middle of June. <laughs> Yeah, freaking elk is – because my biggest problem shooting bow is if I have a dot to aim at, I'm really, really freaking good. But then when I look through my peep and it's just this giant round space and it mm -hmm. just seems so easy and I don't focus on a tiny little spot, then I suck. So it's like, man, I just need to buy a damn 3D elk target and just practice at it, which I was going to do until it was like – it was like $1,600 or eighteen. It's like – They're not cheap. You might want to start renting them out or some shit. <laughs> oh, Christ. I mean, not cheap is one thing. I have bucks to have buddies over. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's crazy. I, I looked, at the, I was on the same website and I was like, because I, talking to Jed, he shoots a lot of bow and I'm like, all right, what, what target? And he said, Reinhardt. And you go on the website, you're like, oh my God. Like, yeah. Jesus, you can't get out of. <laughs> no, I was thinking $500, like. $500, 600 bucks for the deer. Yeah. I was thinking like 750 for an elk is what I had in my head. And then I logged in. I was like, all right, well, screw that idea. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? That's it sucks. That's um, a bit so ridiculous. Quick, quick before we wrap things up, I think part of you know um, the issue with people you know improving their forests like that is because the the um, argument of timbers like uh, board length and and the revenue they, that it generates off the property. Now let's remember that's every like sixty years or whatever it is if you go by the normal logging technique. But um, what is something that you've done like? money wise so you've you've enrolled you've brought the oh. forester out there you've enrolled yep. um kind of talk about the process of getting into closed mfl and and i mean really if you think if you look at that like the taxes it saves you over that money it saves you over 50 40 or 50 years it makes up the difference yeah absolutely so uh, the first thing i would do is contact the dnr forester and find out and um i always forget their name place it was a u.s where uh, dina's mom used to work what's that place called Oh, the NRCS. The NRCS, right? Contact, just contact both those places. So that's what I did. I got grants to get rid of invasives. So that was like just a $7,000 they put in my checking account. And then yeah. for oh, the, wow. uh, yeah. So those Shit, are grants. I should hold off then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, so what they do is they come out, walk around with you, give you a plan, you do it. And then they come out and inspect it. And then you get it, you get the money deposit in your account. Yeah. So I did that on half. And then got the money and then did it on the other half over the last few years. And then in the uh, the tax savings plan, they just come out and they give you a manager. So there's, there's a little catch to this, though, is they give you a plan and you're supposed to follow it. Um, and their goal, the goal of the plan is kind of for like future timber harvest. Right. But so for me, it knocked down my tax bill. Twenty four hundred bucks a year. Twenty four hundred. huh? Twenty four hundred a year. Yeah. Per year forever. And that's like 40 straight acres, 40 wooded acres. Like uh, 39 or 38.5, something like that. And so um, 20 year, I think it's a 20 year plan. So 20 years from now, what would happen is they, in theory, they log it and they get half the money from logging it. Right. But like my land where it's so steep and it's so challenging for loggers to get at the timber. I had three different loggers come out there and uh, they said they wouldn't even do it. So I'd have oh, to yeah. pay them to come get the logs because the amount of money that's in there relative to the amount of work and effort and whatever. They'd probably want to go back up to your neighbors and come out down through those big fields. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's just, there's so much mature timber out there and whatever. So I guess what I'm thinking is when the time does come and um, they do want to harvest some good and harvesting mature trees isn't a bad thing if they do it intelligently. Right. Um, right. The, the profit split is we're going to be splitting like a hundred bucks. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's it for me, it's just an absolute no brainer, but yeah, I took my 2,400 bucks a year saved in taxes by basically doing what I would do anyhow. Not to mention, you mean you have unlimited firewood. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's worth something in theory, but again, where I live to get the firewood out, it's just not worth the hassle because it's just so stupid. Yeah challenging and then the other cool thing too is um so like the dnr forester the one in the cross county the dude's awesome he's super cool and um i mean but they get he gets paid from our tax dollars to help out guys like you and me so i had him come out and i just walked around with him asking questions and picking his brain for hours and i learned a lot about um you know selecting which trees to cut down and, and you know the resources are out there you just got to do it. it doesn't cost a damn thing 
Yeah. Did you find that that program is the same with most programs I'm finding where you have to own the property for a year? I don't know. I don't remember that part at all. Um, I don't think so. Cause I, I did it like right away. No. I don't, but, that, but here's the thing too, that, that shit, the rules change quite often. Right. Cause I think when I got in, you I know CRP like, for sure. You have to own it for a year, own it for a year, over a year, like 13 or 12 months. And then you can apply and then it can get enrolled. So when I did it, the, the land size minimum, I think it got larger since, since I did it, but I could be wrong. It was like five acres. Now it's 10 or it was 10 and now it's 20 or something like Hopefully that. Hopefully it's not 20. I only have, I think we only have 15. Oh. Yeah, and then you got to be careful too. Um, there's two options. So the one is you get a tax break to, to do the land management like I described. There's another one, you get a, a bigger tax break, but that opens it up to public. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, don't don't yeah. do that one. Closed MFL, not open MFL. Yeah, closed MFL. But open MFL is a really good place to find good hunting land, which even yeah. though I own my own land, I still go hunting on um some open MFLs because it's good and it's just fun and challenging. I just question I've been on a lot of open MFL and I just feel like timber management there is not I don't know. A lot of invasives, a lot of crappy, honestly, crappy area too. But there well, yeah, is so a, the, there the is a invasives. Of of so for my for my timber management plan, the MFL part, it had nothing to do with invasives. Oh really? Yeah. So the invasives. That is dumb. Yeah. So for me, for me, because that's what ton of that land. That's what the farmers that put it into open MFL are the guys that ran cattle through it, and they just don't. They're not doing anything else with it, so they just, yeah they get the tax break. So like for me, the grants I got were to um, treat invasives. And then the other part is basically you do nothing. It's you just yeah. don't do anything, right? And, um, but they, I mean, there's some things like, so for example, the DNR Forest is cool. So aspen trees, poplars, whatever, as they get, once they get old, they produce these conks, like those hard mushroom looking things on the side. And it's like, well, if they get these conks, they're dying. And if they die standing, they're dead. That ruins them. So if you see conks, you want to cut them down, right? But it's like with these to get them to really regenerate, you just don't want to cut down a couple of them. If you're going to do it, you're going to fucking do it. And you rip out a bunch of, you cut down a whole shit ton of them. So it's like, dude, have at it. I was like, sweet. Cause that's, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they're cool about that. Cause you know, it's, it's, it's kind of that balance, right? So they're, he's trying to balance, you know, doing some timber management to get board accounts, make some money in the future with also improving it for habitat and um you can do both yeah i mean it's you gotta play they they have a they do have an angle any any program with the government and then too i i find i think this is goes across the board in any profession um uh kevin and lacrosse he's just a good dude i, I like to work with him i'm assuming in other counties or you know you might have some dipshits right Right. It's just you, you talk to him and hopefully you get a good dude who uh, – then I was just up front with my goals. Like, hey, you know, I, the program's cool, but my goal is to just make it great for nature, be a deer mm -hmm. turkey. You know what? Speaking of this land management, though, the freaking turkeys avoid my land like the plague. Isn't that the weirdest thing? That's shocking. Yeah. You haven't so got any, like, turkey pull pictures up on that – up on your, like, meadow up there? No. They avoid it like the freaking plague. They will not go in that damn thing. It's amazing. So, like, I'll be on my bluff, and the neighbors, each side, turkey's gobbling. On mine, nothing. Put cameras. Doesn't my meadow look like a turkey freaking, like, yeah. greatest thing ever? They don't go in there. They, they'll go around it. 
It's so weird. The weirdest thing. See, I went on turkey hunting just a few times. I mean, I didn't turkey hunt very hard, so I tried taking my son, but there's nothing gobbling on my uh, on my bluff. They just avoid it. Isn't that weird? Mm. Yeah, no it, rhyme. I mean, I would assume that you're you ha- you're improving. You're definitely improving the habitat for poults and hens oh. and nesting. Um, you know, time. You know, in the spring, like during actual hunting season, I you know who knows? Like they're going to be controlled by food and um good hay and yeah it's just sort of people listening but, like you go in my it's a, i have a i have on a bluff and the top of the bluff is like a two-third acre opening which you would think there'd just be turkeys up in that opening on top have of you ever bluff. thought about burning that oh i'd love to love to i called the shelby and and looked into it um trying to find help because dude i'm not gonna just go right right yeah <laughs> and uh, i can't it i can't find and then especially now, nobody will nobody will want to do it no, I don't know um, how I could do it. I would love to do it. I think it'd be freaking amazing. I, speaking of, did you? I just read an article. Um, the Native Americans used to do controlled burns. How cool is that? Uh, that was pretty awesome. Like the Native yeah, Americans man. used to do land management, and they would do uh, controlled burns to try and make it easier to harvest deer. Yeah, and that I mean the the idea of those burns too is like that's why we are in the situation that we're in now because we don't have the natural fires anymore. So, right. I mean that's another argument for why you know you well you really want to cut down a sixty year old tree. Well, most likely this tree wouldn't still be living here if it if nature would have just been here, right? Like we oh, right. we prevented the things that let this tree live. So right. it's done its job. It's done it, it. It's lived a good life, but it's time for other things to. Yeah, man. I mean, like the MSU Deer Lab guys, their first thing they always talk about is uh, controlled burn. And I would love, love to do it if I could just, I don't know, I should look into a little more, you know, if I could pay someone to come out and help me and then show me so I can do it in the future. But I'm sure, you know, something like that, you probably are supposed to get permits and permission and, or who knows, maybe it's not even legal anymore, depending on where you live. Oh, it's legal around here. Is it? You'd have to eat all getting a permit. Like all you have to do is call your township and tell them. Um, cause I yeah. have to pay money. You know, here's this a dumb, here's a little rant. Like, cause I live in, I have to get a permit and pay money to have a little campfire on my own land. How fucking stupid that is. Oh, you actually pay money. on those yeah, permits? You're supposed to. That I'm is odd. Sure. That is odd. I'm pretty sure. You are. <laughs> so was, this is years ago. I was looking at it. I could have read it wrong, but I remember I was annoyed. I'm like, seriously? Like I even have to, just a, a campfire on my own property. I'm supposed to get a permit. Like, stupid. I just that is shocking. I know in the city they're supposed to do it. I didn't know Shelby was like that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I got a meeting. I got to get to in a little right, bit, man. and uh, this is good. Do you got cameras up, real quick? Yeah, I have some that were still out from like turkey stuff. So nice. I, I have. I right now. I have a. Uh, um about 30 cameras in a tote that are, need to be batteries need to be put into need to be checked. 30 I'm just dreading. I, I think I'm up to like 40. I have like eight out right now. Jesus. Browning strike force. Big fan. <laughs> I think I got some of those last year after you said that. Dude. Oh, big fan. They're uh, I mean, they're like 130 bucks. And I get great photo. I mean, they're tiny battery life's amazing. Six double A's. Yeah. I'm a fan. But right, yeah, man, cool. I'm, I'm trying some. Uh, I'm trying some of those Cuddy links this year because I'm trying to get a system where I don't. I have cameras that I can actually get pictures out of without checking them. All right. So, 
we'll see. I might get into the, I might get into a cell camera this year too. But oh, see, I thought it was those, uh, you know, Wi-Fi cameras, but I get enough emails already. If I'm freaking checking my damn phone for every trail cam picture. I'll I am close. worried about that. It, well, dude, it's going to get so bad. In yeah. The next 10 years. Yeah. Our techno- technology's there. Right. It's just a matter of hunting industry. People just, all we got to do is, <laughs> it's going to get ridiculous. You're going to have an app on your phone. You're going to scroll through and you're going to have like a, I mean, think about the security cameras. Like I have, I have like those Wi-Fi like blink cameras from Amazon yeah. on my farm. All you do is go pop, in, you know, the, pop into the app on your phone, you live view or gives you a notification when something goes off and you go and live view it and look right at real time. We're, we're getting there. We're going to be there in 10 years. It's going to be like, in the, I would say even the next five years, it's, it's going to be like, it's going to be coming out with an $80 cell cam this year. It's just going to, it's going to be just get a notification. And then you just sit and watch this deer eating in front of your deer stand while you're sitting. You're going to have to, you're going to have to, yeah. The biggest thing is like, it's going to change hunting a lot. No, nope, I'm not buying any of it. I'm going to be that. I'm going to approach it like the, uh, the old fart that <laughs> held on to a flip phone for 20 years. Not doing it. No Wi-Fi trail cams for me. Can't do it. Well, I can't do it. You, yeah, I understand. I'm not yeah. saying that I won't. I haven't done it at this point because I, just, I, I haven't seen good enough ones. I can't work. deal with any more pop-ups and notifications on my phone. I can't do it. Or I get well, rid you of can, you, can, you know, you can turn notifications off. I know, but I still get too many. Fucking yeah. But all right, man, go to your meeting. All right. Thank you for joining us. See you later, man. Bye-bye.